Welcome to Mere Utterance, the podcast where we explore small stories and the big impact they have on our lives. We are so excited to sit down and chat with Bess this week. Her story and the things that have influenced the formation of her identity are so fascinating and relatable. In this episode, she offers some deep insight into how popular culture has the capacity to impact identity and shares some of the key things that hold meaning in her personal journey of self-growth and development. Just a quick note for this episode, we had some technical issues which have resulted in the sound quality being less than what we would usually like, but this conversation was just too good to skip. So thank you for bearing with us and we hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as we did. And without further ado, we will kick off our interview with Bess. It's lovely to have you. My pleasure. Thank you. First question, how would you describe yourself at this point in time? I love the way you frame that at this point of time because for some reason I thought this question would be more around how do you describe yourself in general and I'm a strong believer in, not that I'm Buddhist, but a strong believer in Buddhist beliefs that, you know, there is no self and that you're always changing. So I'm reframing my my answer a bit now because it is like you're never able to sort of wrap up your idea, you know, who you are in one word and, and anything I would say now I would look back on and probably disagree with even tomorrow yeah absolutely I I love the way that you've summarized that too because that's definitely the essence behind you know why we ask that question as in hopefully we are always changing and you know becoming different people and that our identity isn't fixed nice to hear it put into words it's true and I don't like to you know I have like you know you kind of like firm morals in a way but it's like at the end of the day it's like I might say on this and that but then I might disagree with it later and that's fine like I don't hold anyone down for what they change their mind on and yeah. you know I know what I do every day I know how other people might describe me in a way but yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. not fluid with what <laughs> how I describe myself is that the response in and of itself you're someone who's like ever-changing and growing and evolving I like to think so yeah. yeah and I like to think that I've always been like that but it's funny because I also think that I'm kind of a permanent in people's lives in terms of like you know I have long friendships and I'm always sort of like able to be there and give kind of advice and people always like oh this you're always the same don't ever change and it's <laughs> funny because that's literally something I've heard my whole life and really? it's like yeah wow <laughs> and it's like okay bitches well maybe I am changing and maybe you're catching up and that's why I say like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm the one who never changes yeah absolutely okay so Okay, so you say that you've got good friendships and you've had people in your life for a long period of time. What have those relationships been like? How did they start? Lots from different parts of my life. Mm. So um, definitely from like, you know, adolescence and like teenage years and, and that sort of that journey into adulthood. The friends I made now and even sort of the people that I was acquainted with then, people I was acquainted with when I was a teenager and now in my life is really really sort of strong friendships and whether it be just that we experience the same things and that we kind of now have realized you know we're all like adventurous wild <laughs> teenagers and now we're all on this journey and we're growing up and we're all sort of like healing and, and figuring out these amazing things we can do and having these great opportunities we're all as adults the ones that I'm still really close with we're kind of the same people now and through that there's all these mistakes that we made when we were younger yeah and there's that connection there and also just that I suppose it's knowing what the past was and and what yeah so you have like a collective shared history together and you kind of grow past that and yeah and seeing each other grow and having an inspiration for each other you know be able to say like you have come so far like and I can say that for my people and there's this like 
pride as well. You're like, oh my God, we were such little shits. Or we, were like, <laughs> or we had no idea. Or we were yeah. lost and now look at us. Yeah. And we're, and also like we're still working out, but we did it before and we'll keep doing it. Yeah. 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 Have close friendships always been a stable for you or a staple? Yes, I've had stable friends and it's been a staple. Like my friendships are really like huge to me. Like I've got a really great family and they're all good friends with me too but one thing it's like I think definitely you know the way that I worked through so much trauma when I was younger and learned so much about myself is that I had these friendships with people that I trusted and that allowed me to sort of deal with a lot at a young age so yes no friendship is really important to me but it's interesting because I used to care too much about like everyone liking me and everyone wanting to be friends with everyone mm. and I was part of these big groups and I actually didn't give a shit really about you know, I didn't care too much what it was a, it's a, it's an ego thing it's funny that I <laughs> started saying I have no ego um sort of or, or sense of self but like in a good way but now it's like yeah it's it's I think it's the right friendships friendships really important but it's like having a a sisterhood or or like you know friends that you can call family or just like yeah yeah flame flames or yeah, yeah twin flames yeah you know, how many like spirits <laughs> yeah, 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 that sort exactly. of thing but it's so funny that you say that too because I think that you I mean typically you can't really discern who's going to be a quality friendship and who's going to be a good influence and who's going to be congruent with the person who you want to be and who's going to you know help you grow and all that sort of stuff you really have to learn all of that through trial and error right exactly and yeah. it's like so cliche to say this but it's like <laughs> it's an inspirational meme um <laughs> and it's something don't quote me on this but it's something like everyone comes into your life for a reason some people are the you know some people are the lesson ah. the failed ones are the lesson of you know whatnot and there's a lot of that and at like you know, like like having a relationship and falling in love with someone, like you can never not love someone. You love someone that's that point of time in your life and that was beneficial now. But so there's these friendships and they might not work out or, or even like in your career, like professional relationships. And it's just, it's for a reason and there's mm. no, no love lost. And it yeah. all contributes to the person who you are and the person who you're becoming, right? I, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think having that narrative with yourself to go, okay, how did I fail in this and what did I do wrong? Like, even if it's, like, you know, a relationship where you obviously treated really poorly, but at the same time, you're like, what did I learn about myself and what did I do to get myself in this situation? I've always been able to have that introspection, I think. I guess this kind of leads into the question, friendships obviously are a big one, but are there certain things that have led into the development of who you are as a person? Like, for me... I probably draw more heavily on family. I also draw a lot on literature and books and that sort of thing to sort of orient my internal compass, you know, in finding who I am and what I want to be. Mm. What are influencing factors on on who you are? Massively cult- culture. Um, really? It's a massive, yeah, a massive side in that, like, literature as well. But I had, you know, my, I had my set sort of, authors that I would love and live through and learn so much and there were some like big poets and like Huntress Thompson and he was a massive one and then I absolutely love Bukowski and I think that it was really interesting because I think that it was my first boyfriend like who never actually met my father and my father passed around when I was a teenager and he was kind of like oh this man he's your dad you know my, my first boyfriend's 
dad is Russian, so anyway, <laughs> it's, this, it's this, I give you this book, and it's, it, I think it is your dad, because my dad was a bit of a womanizer, or whatever, and I was like, okay, cool, and he has me this book, it's a note to a dirty old man, and I was like, okay, yeah, cool, I was like, what the fuck is this, and I always thought he was kind of trying to stitch me up, and I was like, radio, but I actually fell in love with it, and it's, yeah, and I think things like that is like, yeah, so that was definitely, he's one of the most influential writers, and maybe it was like a reparenting thing in a weird roundabout <laughs> way of understanding yeah, like, love that it. mindset. The way he writes, it's thought out and it's kind of like, I don't know, in that there's a whole kind of how you talk to yourself comes from authors and their style of writing is also that, mm. that way that I... Yeah. Yeah. So um, definitely some literature and art as well, art, like just being an appreciable, like I wouldn't, yeah, I think everyone's an artist. I wouldn't classify myself as an artiste, but just appreciating art and also just having like a shared love of something with those people that you care about. So that probably comes back to friendship. So it's like you both get excited about, you know, going to an exhibition or being in a beautiful space together mm. or a new shoe coming out. Because, yeah, I love yeah, it. fashion just coming out. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And you make friends of that. And my biggest um, influencer would definitely be hip-hop. And Really? Yeah, and I would say definitely, like, hip-hop saved my life. And I say that in a sense where I, you know, there's some – songs and lyrics and artists and groups that I've literally probably stopped myself from, you know, self-harming when I was younger because of that, you know, this shared pain or just someone understanding and almost like tapping into your mind and being like, okay, like, you know, they get it and it's cool. And there's like the healing I have experienced, but also the community and the people and just having this like, yeah, it, literally, I don't know. I wouldn't be the person I am today without that hip-hop. That hip-hop. Yeah. Wow. Has there been, like, a touchstone lyric or...? Ooh. It's funny. It's a big question. It's a big <laughs> question. Like, most, like, hip-hop heads that I know, it's like, you can kind of name your top five rappers. It's really hard to nail down a song. And we always say, like, you know, you kind of have your favourite classic songs or your favourite, but at the moment, obviously, because, you know, you continue digging and you continue finding music, so you might like something at the moment or even something old or new, a lyric. I might have to get back to you on that one. That's a it's good okay. one, though, but I would love to get back no, to you. No, that's really that interesting. Do you know, though, because like, I think people ask me... Uh, I want to reverse. I... It's interesting because I think different people would ask me what influential books have been, and when so whenever I get asked that, I'm like, I have no fucking clue but like go to the hundreds of books in the other room and it's like oh this one was good at this time and this one was good at that time um but I also love that you talk about hip-hop as being like a lifesaver I genuinely think that salsa and latin dance saved my life at one point or another and it's so interesting how the arts the dreadfully underfunded arts (laughs) are such Mm -hmm. life-giving modes really yeah yeah, definitely. Because I think like it's I mean it's self expression, and then you you find yourself in that too. You, mm. Like you can you find yourself in the pain of somebody else, which is beautiful. Exactly, and things that you didn't know how to articulate or how to sort of piece together a, a thought or a th- in your mind, you're like, that's it. That's where I was. That's where I was going with that. Like yeah. a lyric might hit you. And in terms of lyrics, it, it's funny. I don't have like a particular lyric that may have like changed, you know, bar that changed my life or something, but. It's funny because I think of like certain lyrics that like if something happens, there are certain lyrics that 
that go through my head like really <laughs> yeah like when I'm like you know if I like in my you know even when I was drinking a lot maybe like four years ago or something you know and you just like wake up and you're feeling a bit rough or whatever there was always this like and this is where I'm being some but it's like why do we do the things that we do staying out late with no curfew? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I would be like, hey, what do I do? And then there's also like the Hennessy got me not knowing how to act and falling and I can't, oh, so it's funny because it's like, as a teenager, you do these regrettable things and you're just like, so they're the ones that obviously they haven't heard that much, but it's like these kind of, I don't know, mantras that go through my head. <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah. though. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting because like, teaching like teaching English kids are like we're never gonna like like we're never gonna use any of this and none of this makes sense and it's like yeah but you're listening to like poetry every day and everything that you're consuming is is English and is literature and self-expression and I in my year 12 advanced English I referenced Drew the Damager and he has lyrics about like ignorance and there's this track where he's like going through all sort of like the different mind states and it was perfect because I've weaved it into Othello and so it's possible like <laughs> there's so many I mean and I think I mean I must say like the kids these days are listening to the best most lyrically <laughs> yeah, genius no. sort of yeah like um, skirt skirt yeah yeah the lyrics yeah. are much to work with so I get it yeah. but um, I'm sure they're still really you know intelligent there it's that maybe <laughs> hopefully, hopefully but there's no but because um, it is society and culture as well yeah. and um, part of like the society and culture syllabus you have a focused study on pop culture mm-hmm. and they usually focus in on like the development of hip hop yes and then how it you know where it originated and then how it kind of globalised mm-hmm. and then became like a global movement yeah. but you've still got like certain paraphernalia that is now being like adopted in you know China and Japan and like you know Africa there's like hip-hop's coming out in all of these different areas, which yeah. is really, really cool. It's storytelling with you, and that is what hip-hop is about. Mm. It's about sharing story. your story, and then you give a story back. And that's how I, yeah, that's how I look at it. But now it's all flexing, and yeah, I don't know if we're going to No, I think it's... <laughs> it's hip-hop, yeah. <laughs> so you know that you're getting, you know that you're getting older when you're like, oh, kids these days have no clue what it was like. Yeah. But it's true, though, to an extent. <laughs> true and it's interesting because social media as amazing as it can be there's this whole thing around like popularity and popularity and presence on social media outweighs intelligence or meaning and there's all these people who don't have much talent who because they are super active and they give likes and they receive likes and they're really that's a talent in itself it is and it's a it's full on there's a, it's a lot of time that goes into that but that puts you ahead in a lot of in a lot of different scenes and a lot of different industries rather than actually uniqueness and talent and actually being really good at what you do and that gets overlooked so you might have mm-hmm. someone who's really good at something and they're completely overlooked because they might not have the popularity to the, or, or care about that like it's like yeah. a lot of people like you know there's a lot that goes into having this popularity like some people will literally be on social media like all day and yeah. you have to engage yeah. for it and if you're not doing that and if you don't like people's stuff back and then you don't get it. it's it's a really interesting it's a really interesting thing it's like yeah because there's this whole sense of like false talent and I feel sorry for in the younger generation in a way because they don't know they just know that they like what everyone else likes mm. and what is giving them attention and what's coming up in their news feed and I don't think that many kids go digging like music I'm um, like 
even like books like you'd know if kids go searching but like my I would search for authors but then I go search for music and you go into shops and you'd physically go digging and looking for music you know you wouldn't just get get it thrown at you yeah yeah so there's been a shift away from intentionally crafting your identity to having it recommended for you by an algorithm. Yes, I think so anyway. But then I also love that, like, you know, programmatic marketing when I'm a receiver of these algorithms, when I'm on my Instagram and it's like, you need this cream or whatever. And I'm like, yes, I yes, I do. actually do. <laughs> exactly what I was thinking about. And it's like something truth and you're like, fuck yeah, I wouldn't know in the first place to look. And it knows that I need that because of what I am talked about yeah if i or google or whatever and i'm like suddenly i'm like yeah sweet sold and then i can do a bit of like you know competitor analysis and i can go look at other brands cool but i don't didn't know this product existed before <laughs> but now I do. and now i've got that to go and you know yeah leave it. and it's funny because it does that leads back into like this whole thing of identity and like i think identity is a really interesting construct so like this sense of self and you know that you have to be a certain person and you you know like i said before i don't think that you ever are and you can be one thing one day and one thing the next like in my role in my role as in my professional role like I have to sort of walk in and be super confident about knowing about all these things and I am but it's funny because it goes it's like I'll flip my hat on some days and I'm an expert in that and I'm an expert in that and you just have to own it and you feel it you know and it's like anything like I'm gonna be happy today or I'm gonna mm. you know be inspiring and I'm this person you know my friend is not feeling about so I'm gonna be the strong one you know and it's just what you but this whole thing about identity for young people is that they, yeah, I, I don't know. It must be really hard. Like when we were young, identity was a hard, a big struggle for some people. And I remember like doing like coming of age stuff and there was like whole years where you'd focus on your identity, which is strange in itself. But yeah, now it's totally. just like this algorithm of like, this is who you want to be because this, this person yeah. has an identity that, you know, gets yeah. them likes essentially. <laughs> yeah, totally. Fun. And for context, you're in marketing. Yeah. I'm in marketing. Yes, yeah. I work in advertising. Yeah. yeah. So this is very much your wheelhouse. It is. Of knowledge, I guess. I work in, like, it, we don't, we, I don't work in so much consumer marketing, which is sort of where you use your influences and stuff. And I have before. And um, we do a lot of um, people, uh, human-centric sales tools for people that are in so it's psychology-based messaging, and so it's really interesting because it's it's funny, like, advertising, I love it, and I love this because I studied psychology, psychology for a short amount of time and, and didn't finish, but I've always had this, like, fascination with how the brain works and, and um, you know, obviously not advertising would be used for this evil, like, you know, negative persuasion, but you can also do really beautiful uh, things with it, and it's almost like... You can target, like, give power to, like, a small group of people or give mm-hmm. a voice to people who didn't know how to articulate themselves. There's that aspect as well. And so, yeah, like, when we do it, we kind of ask the people that are selling whatever the product, how would they describe it? And there's groups of them. And then, we like, how would they sell it? What is it? And, and then they say what they think it is. And then we give them the words and base it on facts of how to do it. And it's like, that's, that's great. But then there is this really dark side of of advertising but it's a really powerful tool I love it I absolutely love it I just saw the Cannes Line Award and it was interesting too because you're like oh like fucking hell because I saw it and I was like this is a fucking amazing ad this is a beautiful amazing ad and it's an ad I'll tell you what the ad is first and then I'll tell you who made it and what the product is so it's a campaign 
where it's for violence against women internationally and they've made this wedding dress and this wedding dress is made by a real designer and they show that it is fireproof it's bulletproof so like it shoots the corset and it's beautiful and then they've got like this choker like beautiful choker that's they're like it's you know getting a knife as whatever like a you know stab proof everything and then it's done beautifully it's got these amazing like proof like these stats that come up that are just like oh my god and you can't help but like just feel blown away by it but it's by a beer company and what? yeah and I'm like and I didn't know that and I was until I saw it I was like no like, and I went back and I was like and I, maybe it's a beautiful thing in a way but it's also like sorry how much of this actually how much <laughs> let's see the stat on how much violence against Bums women is, is correlated <laughs> absolutely by alcohol abuse so, yeah so they obviously have amazing strategists and like this is going to hit this is a beautiful <sighs> ad concept it's amazing it's going to like you know it's, it's, and it is and it's beautiful and it's, it's a really important message and it's done in such a really nice way to get that conversation happening but then it's like your motive is to sell beer yeah but I think that's at the end of the day it's like yeah what are you saying oh beer okay that, that's weird oh my god it's so it's interesting though because I think in your line of work and also I think sort of some of the things that you've been saying about the formation of identity particular for this emerging generation um kind of it straddles two sides of you know a dichotomy really you know things that can be used for good and beauty and um you know lifting up minorities and providing voice and then at the same time you know can also be wielded for consumerism and to subdue and suppress people and exactly it's it's a really it's an interesting thing and some brands really they they do it in a really nice way and there's this whole focus on like being sustainable sustainably conscious and your ESG so your environment mental your social and your governance and that's a really great thing and like most massive companies at least will pay a lot of money to have one but like, yeah. and they're actually forming into their advertising and using their platform and their power to communicate something that is really helpful you mm. know like in like are you okay day and I think it's really nice like this year it seems like it's really picked up and I even mm. on like Taxa Doritos you've got like the the lifeline yeah. number and are you okay and I think that's a really good you know that's a beautiful thing to see yeah totally. and i don't think that they're taking it's a you know they're not taking the advantage of that to yeah. sell more chips you don't it's <laughs> seen in the in advertising you just see it when you open the pack and i'm yeah. like that's really nice because someone might need that when they open a pack of chips yeah you know? totally or just yeah. have that reminder exactly how did you so you said you did mention that you started psycho, studying psychology mm-hmm. how did you go from psychology to getting into marketing and advertising I was already in yeah actually so I was already in agency well when I finished school I got a job straight away um literally I think I went out for dinner with a couple of friends the day we finished high school it was like day we got our HSC results or something and a friend's old brother was there and he was like oh you know what do you want to come work at this agency because I just was like talking about like how I want to have a where I just make money and just work for a bit because thing then I wanted to physiotherapy at uni and that's sort of you know I was into sports science and stuff but it wasn't my main focus so God, I'm glad I didn't waste money on that um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was gonna say there are so many young people out there who like wasted money on a degree and they're just like oh so not what I want to do now yeah, yeah. exactly I'm like I think any worse than being a physiotherapist but anyway <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know any physio but like I mean, I did a double. Well, it looks actually my great aunties, but anyway, I'm oh, like, that's that. Yeah, I mean, she's comfortable. I know. <laughs> yeah, different things to different people. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know a young physiotherapist. Anyway. No, no. Yeah, and so um, 
Yeah, so I was in an agency line for like seven years, but we were more tech, uh, like actually development and, and lots of coding and building, and, and that was great. But because of that time, I was I built relationships with a lot of like really big clients, like big banks and big, you know, like Woolworths and you know, MasterCard and stuff. And that, that's cool. And for me, it was like it was no big thing. So I think from the age of 18 and having exposure and these conversations with people, it was like, I don't know, it became something that I was just naturally good at. Yeah, and, and because it was a small agency, so we sort of wore a lot of hats and it was like, okay, like, so I'm writing, you know, I'm writing a proposal for MasterCard or help, you know, now it's like, all right, whatever. And you just kind of do these things and, and yeah, psychology is something always, I, but my main, main, my end goal for psychology though is I wanted to be a neurologist. So it's like, I didn't just want to be a psychologist. I wanted to go and be, you know, study for 10 years and, and be a neurologist. At 25, I left my job after seven years, the agency job, and I applied for psychology, first year of psychology at Sydney Uni um, as a mature age student. Didn't think particularly I'd get it. I was like, Sydney Uni, psychology, wow, that would be amazing. Mm. Um, But I had studied, I'd studied journalism and done really well. I'd gotten ducks during this journalism degree in the private, and like that wasn't, you know, writing and and was really interesting for me as well. And so... I had that to, to help. Anyway, and then I went off to Thailand and had a wild time. And I got my <laughs> for like six months or more. And then I um and then I got my acceptance in. And I was like, that's amazing. So I think because I'd put so much on it and I was like, I kept talking, I'm like, oh if I get it anyway, I don't know, whatever. And then I got in and I was like, oh God, okay. So I decided like I, I got there and it was just not what I expected like I was only 25 so I wasn't super 26 I wasn't super um old to be there but I just think that the university had changed a lot from maybe there was no social so I don't know I felt really old and I felt no like it just felt like a really lonely place yeah. to me yeah and then I kind of had this thought where I was like you know what I I can still have a massive like, and also like the commitment to being a neurologist is like huge. Yeah. It's like that's that's a long time. Well, that's a big goal too. It's a huge goal. I'm like, why don't I just go back and make money? Like you know, yeah. you know, I was used to being on a good salary, and I was like, oh. um, so yeah, I was like, I can still have a huge interest. I can still read all the science magazines and read all these articles. You don't have to make it your profession. You can yeah. make it more that, and then. Um, I went back into another agency land and it's funny because at one stage I was like, oh, maybe I want to go and, you know, be a therapist. And I was like, and I was doing that. I'm like, oh no, I'm definitely not ready to do that. I need to do this work myself first. So I was actually unable to do the work because I was like, I have not actually done this for myself yet. So that was interesting. And then I was like, maybe marketing. And like in my head, I was like, oh, I've got to do three years at at uni and maybe I'll do that. And then I sort of fell again into uh, another agency and they're a boutique, um, and then it all came together and I was like, oh my God, you've studied psychology, you've studied journalism, like you've tried all these different things. you in another agency and yeah. I'm just like, so you don't, yeah, I, it just kind of formed and everything I learned from all of those experiences, like have, I now use now in my, yeah. my job. And it's funny because it's like this whole, you manifest, like, you know, you're not only like metamorphosizing always, you're also like, I don't know, manifesting and creating mm. what you want. So it might change day to day, but also in the day, you're always like, okay, there I am, and this is where I was meant to be, and this is why I did all these things. I'm going to take from all this. And it, so it's like, oh, it's nice when it all comes together, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's okay, well, why? Yeah, finally. Yeah. Okay, so, okay, so it sounds like 
you've tried a whole bunch of different things and searched for a really long time before everything kind of like came together. What was that like going from thing to thing? I mean, I think I'm someone who's a goal oriented, or at least I pretend that there's that psychology <laughs> thing. Like, I'm doing this for a reason, like, yeah, because yeah. I want to get here. But at the same time, I'm also super chill and I also just go with the flow. Right. And I was like, this seems good for a while. And I'm like, okay, I, I mean, I've been complacent. I've stayed in jobs or, you know, studied things that I, you know, but also like stick to something and, and see it out. Like, yeah. you know, staying somewhere and actually giving it a go helps you with your development and also like you know it's nice to do and of course it's not always but generally if you if you think you can do it and think it's there then it's like okay but I remember thinking if I drop out of uni I was battling with like a bit of like alcohol and drug misuse then and I was like if I don't do this if I fail this then I'm going to kill myself like that's Mm -hmm. what I like I put this pressure on myself and then I was like, oh, that didn't work out. So be it. And I'm like, and then I look back on that. I'm like, how ridiculous. <laughs> so, it's, but it's so do or die yeah. though too. Because I, well, I don't even know why. I can probably speculate as to why it's do or die. I think when we're growing up, we have impressed upon us this idea that we must figure out what it is that we're going to do and you must strive for success and achieve it. Otherwise, you know, you're wasting time and what is your life worth and yeah. you're going nowhere and you failed. Yeah, massively. And so that sort of like that do or die mentality, I think is societally hugely bred into us. Really. I think so. Yeah. And purpose and like trajectory and goals and stuff. It's like, but then you get older and you realize, you know, everything's going to be okay anyway and it all fits in. And I think that the thing I feel sorry for people who get so overwhelmed with that, that they're so hard on themselves that they just, they are so depressed or they spend like a year in bed because they're so scared of not being able to continue or failing. And that's like, fuck, like just give it a go, keep going. Like my younger cousins, they were doing their HSC last year and they were like stressing out and they're, they're, they're into arts, they're singers and dancers and musicians and they were, you know, worried. And I just said, probably, you know, as your older cousin who's, you know, in their 30s now, I go, don't fucking worry about your HSC means, or nothing. whatever, your ATAR means absolutely nothing. nothing. Just have fun. Have yeah. fun doing it. Yeah. I'm forever saying this to HSC students as well. Seriously, your HSC results literally mean nothing. If anything, the soft skills that you're learning now, even if it's just to criticise the school, um, <laughs> it's okay. useful, yeah. do you know yeah, what I mean? Because otherwise, you know, you go through the schooling system, you're taught respect people simply because they're in a position of authority. Mm-hmm. You go into the workforce, yeah. you know, thinking, okay, then I have to do exactly what I'm told yeah. and I have to, you know, you know, be the best employee ever and achieve the best results and go above and beyond. It's like... And sell yourself short. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you get yeah. burnt out and wonder why. Yeah, exactly. But I think there's identity in that too because, like, yeah, they – you kind of like, okay, well, what – it's the ticking of the boxes mm. and what is this going to be and what is, is this going to end? And this whole thing of, like, institution and questioning your institutions is interesting because I was saying lately that I absolutely think that I have progressed so far in my career since flexible working, since COVID and flexible mm. working became completely widespread because it gives you this opportunity to have – and if you struggle with anxiety or mental illness or, or, or whatever it is, or you just sometimes are like a bit ADHD and you want to work better, you, you, know, you have your, you, you have an energy hit at night and you're like, all right, suddenly, like, you can do that and you can work, you know, you have your meetings, obviously, at set times. And I, I'm, you know, I'm a account manager, so I obviously always turn up to meetings and I turn up when I need to turn up. But also at the same time, I'm like, 
all right, well, that was heaps of information or, you know, now I'm going to have a break for an hour and go for a walk or go shopping and I'll come back and I'll knock out, you know, two hours tonight. And I think that is so amazing because there was that whole, like, when you when I first started working, you turn up to work every day at 9am and then you have to stay at your computer and you, like, have this, like, 15-minute break and then you have an hour break. And it's hard because it's, you, you just, yeah, and in school's the same. You get punished for not sticking to this really regimented yeah like and I know that you need what do you call it um yeah, like structure, structure. And and there's structure but you can also create your own structure and I think like there's as a society is changing in a way where you're like able to pick in yeah you're able to work on when you're you know human excellence is about knowing and being in tune with yourself and you perform when you need to and there's so much more like talk about like you know from people who in like politics and people who are celebrities, the people who always turn up going, oh, I can't turn up today. Mm. I need me time. And it's so important because at the end of the day, it's like we are human. And I saw a really great thing on someone's email signature the other day. And I was like, that really hit. It absolutely like, it, it actually always like maybe like maybe so emotional because, because, you know, I send and receive so many emails every day and it's insanity. And because I am working late at night, but the bottom of one of my client's signatures, it said, we work, and I, I think it's actually becoming into place in a lot of large organisations, we work flexible hours now. Just because you're receiving this email at night, don't you don't have, basically, you know, you don't have to reply until you're working hours. And I'm like, that is so amazing because, like, you think that there was this initial thing with being flexible where you're like, you're always on, you have to always respond. Yeah. But no, it's like, you're, not, you're on when you want, when you want to be on. And, yeah. and I work with... Another one of my account managers, she's got a small child and she also, her clients, she's she sort of picked up clients that also have small children. So they're emailing each other at all hours of the night. And that's normal yeah. to them. And that's nice because they wake up, they do a feed and they can they can have a few back and forth emails. Absolutely. And that's so amazing because imagine if you only had that confined to your nine to five to do that. And you wouldn't take your computer. You like left your computer and then you went back to your computer. So uh, weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, like what life is that? Do you know what I mean? And it also limits, like, the extent to which you can balance in a way that's authentic for you. Do you know what I mean? I'm not a – I am not a morning worker. Like, I can't really work until we're hitting, like, 4 o'clock in the afternoon and then I'm good till 11 o'clock at night and then it's like, okay, yeah, see me again at 2 a.m. Do you know what I mean? So I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And – yeah, you, you also, like, you miss out on opportunities when you are only confined to those hours. Because yes. imagine if that was it and you weren't allowed to go and, you know, work at 2 a.m. Yeah. Like, you would miss out. Like, yeah. So I think maybe, like, every, I, I hope there's, like, I think there's a huge shift in people being able to sort of be their own. Mm-hmm. Like, mould their own career and their own, yeah. you know, corporate identity. Totally, <laughs> totally, totally. Okay, so... We've touched on identity a bunch of times. Yeah. I guess I'm going to ask, like, what what does identity look like to you? And it could be, like, in a whole bunch of different facets. But how do you, like, mould your identity or what is your identity? It's changing every day and it's a nice thing to be able to be able to mould yourself in different ways. And how? I've, yeah, how do you do that? I, I've always been able to do it. Like, I, I, went to a lot, like, I went to quite a few different schools and I hung around, like, with a lot of different people and even also, like, as a young person, like, my mum and dad would take us on, they were both in the film industry, and we'd go and we'd hang out with a lot of adults and a lot of different people. And yeah. so for me, I mean, I'm so social and, you know, I, like, I would 
kind of become like on their level and it's not making me like I think I always kind of battle with myself and some people like might think that like there's a fakeness to it but it's actually not it's just kind of like unlocking parts and I'm still true to my identity and I'm still always who I am I'm consistently myself to a lot of people and how they see me but in terms of like my identity like you know I might hang out with someone for six months and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I really like hip-hop. And they're like, what the fuck? Like, you know, I would never have thought that about you or, some, or something, you know? And, like, yeah. it's something that's so core to my identity, you know, to some people. Like, some people will only talk, you know, I'll get messages from them. And it's literally, like, people that will only talk to me about hip-hop and yeah. what we have for years. And then it's, so, yeah, there's layers, there's layers, there's layers to it. There's yeah. sides to it, I think, yeah. yeah. And yeah. you talked about being around a lot of different adults. Does that mean that, like part of your identity is like you have a core that is the person who you are and what you like and you know the multifaceted layers to yourself do different sides to you come out or become formed when you are exposed to different people definitely I mean there's also like um you know what's appropriate you know I like to think that I'm someone I said it was all of my friends like you could take her to the dirtiest crack house wherever <laughs> or you could take her to dinner with the queen or have there been any particular events that have really shaped who you are massively a lot like i've had a lot of events in my life (laughs) some not all good lots of good but um yeah a lot of you know mistreatment i'll say by various numerous people and so yeah definitely that's all shaped me but i don't know like what's the big one like because everything's shaping you that's true um so a key event um and a lot in hindsight but i think my father dying when i was a teenager obviously changes you a lot and he wasn't he lived in Broome, we were in Sydney, well, my sister was in Lismore, I was in Sydney. And so it's not like there was that, like, you wake up the next day and there's this big, like, void and this person no longer there. So it wasn't this huge thing. In it. And he was a good mate of mine. <laughs> he was a rat bag, but <laughs> hugely, he was a good mate. But, yeah, losing a parent at a young age, and I was definitely the first, like, one of the first people in, in my friend group who, um, or people that I knew who lost a parent, and... Yeah, I think it definitely made me a more empathetic person and mm. to go through that and to, you know, and, and there's always this thing like I remember the time I was like, oh my God, like how do you do it? You're just so strong. And it's this whole thing. It's like when you have no other choice than to be strong, you just, you are strong. And then over the years as, as you know, people around me have, I've seen them go through, you know, losing people and um, big events as well. It's just like. You then see, you know, yeah, you, I've, I've always, I mean, some of my friends used to say I was a bit, like, um, morbid because, like, at one stage I had, like, four close people around me who all had, like, people dying or just died. And I'm like, I don't choose it. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not I am not this. the harbinger of death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't pick these people because I love to sit around and talk about death. Like, it's maybe a little bit, but, like... I don't know, I just think that, like, I like to think of myself, like, there's this whole, like, you know, you, if I had to summarise myself back to the beginning question of who I am, I like to say that, you know, I am, and it's something that I've been told more than I'd call myself that, but a healer, and I think the only reason I'm a healer is because someone who heals themselves, then they can go on to do healing, and I think that yeah. that gave me a nice opportunity to live through something and then be able to support other people, because especially, like, with that, like, you find that, 
people get really awkward with those situations. So like when someone's sick or when someone's just lost someone, there's like people don't want to talk about it. Well, people don't not want to talk about it. They think that the other person doesn't want to talk about it. It's, it's the elephant in the room. And I realised because of my experience early on with it that, you know, like the kind of the awkwardness is so much worse. And, you know, even if it's just someone like, how are you feeling today and what, you know, just someone who just opens up and talks about it, like, of course you want to talk about it. Like, mm. I suppose there's a time and a place. But, yeah, there's there's that as well. And even just holding space for someone and being like, I'm happy to just come over and sit with you. Is that how you, is that how you heal? Or is that what brings Me? you? Well, yeah, you mentioned that you're healing. And that oh, you're, I think just, like, allowing. To heal other people and, like, yeah. how do you do that? Do you healing? Yeah. No, no, but isn't, like, I think it's, com- like, it's complicated. I think like, it's just helping someone, like, holding a space for someone, like, and day healing is done completely on your own. Like you, you know, you, you heal, you know, it's your body, it's your trauma, it's your soul. Like you're the one who's healing it. But yeah, just holding space that some people might not have or letting people kind of think about things that they might not have been able to do on their mm. own or you mm-hmm. know, holding yeah. space. Really. Yeah, totally. yeah. 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 I agree with that too. And I think oh, I agree with that and I resonate with that because I think that, I'm a teacher, inverted commas, yeah. but like 90% of my job is holding space yeah. for kids, seriously. That is, I, I do more holding space than I do teaching. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I think you think about, when most people think about their teachers, like who's your favourite teacher, I think most people wouldn't be like, oh, the one who taught me how to do how to <laughs> be like, no, the one that, you know, helped, you know, that made me find out this grand lesson of life or helped me discover this or gave me, handed me this book once. Hopefully. You know? like, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, totally. I love that answer. Thank you. I, I wanted to ask too, is there anything that you're currently curious about or that you're currently learning about? It's funny because I, <laughs> I used to have so many interests and would be like, and like want to know everything about everything and like so I've been studying like this about neuroscience and this about like shamanism and, and then like this sewing pattern and you know, all these things and then like, I'm a bit ADHD and so I was like, you can't do all the things. You need to do one thing at a time <laughs> yeah. and you need to like channel it. Yeah, you need to channel it into just being interested in one thing. But then, because like I suppose at the moment I'm so boring, I'm like, my career is my, you know, my main focus and I do it too much. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm really boring now. Like I'm not actually like, I don't have any other hobbies or anything. Like I think we're doing a work website and it's like, you know, um, Troy's a skier and Anne-Marie's a, you know, ultra marathon r- runner. And I'm like, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> what, what do I like? There you go. I'm in flux. I'm changing. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. I like, um, so at the moment, uh, yeah, I think actually that much in itself is just like knowing how to, I don't, I don't know. There's a whole lot in, I think actually. <laughs> I'm really curious about organization and not having this. It's true. And I think if I think about it, I actually am doing that. And I'm like, okay, so you've got to work out like how to do one thing after the other. And there's a lot of that going on and it's working. So setting habits for myself and doing it. And it's really fucking boring. And I'm like, how do I organize my house? And these are things that I always was just like, because I was just um, like running around frantic and it just like, yeah, and it's a nice thing. So I suppose I'm like reorganizing, um, like sorting out my um, my brain as a wardrobe at the moment or something. Oh my God, I love that. And it's so essential too. And I feel like it's such a mark of like maturity when you finally hit the point where you're like, all right, I need to like 
I gotta get this shit yeah. sorted. And like before I clean and sort my house, I'm gonna clean and sort my, my brain. How I actually clean and sort my house. But I think that's where I am. Because <laughs> just like frenetically yeah. running around hoping that things will like fall into yeah. place and yeah. yeah. Too and much I, energy. And because I've got all my sewing stuff there and I've got, you know, my other house <laughs> stuff there and my other things and like, you know, a book and this and that, all the things I wanna do. But I'm like, no, you gotta sort it all out first and then cool. And then I'll put it in little drawers and then I'll go, okay, cool. Yeah, let's open the sewing drawer for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So probably sewing. I don't know. I kept saying that. <laughs> so I'm probably just sewing. All of that sewing. Sewing. <laughs> he was in sewing. It's good. It's good. No, that's like me. Every winter I, I have like a crochet phase. Yes. And then I quickly. Uh, Phases. Maybe I need to work out how to phase my approach because yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm stagnant. I'm like, I'm just still sorting. It's like. I think it's because once I open one thing and I'm like, I'm going to do that. I'm like, oh, but I want to do that. <laughs> I need to phase it. I need to work in phases. Yeah. Shifting. Ever yeah. shifting. Tara. Suddenly it's shifting so much. Do it all at once. Tara's like emphatically nodding in the back. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Keep do all on. the things. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have one more question yes. for you. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like to cover? I don't think so. No, it's been a really, really nice oh. chat, Jess. Always a pleasure chatting to oh, you. Oh, always a pleasure chatting yeah. to you. It's too. nice, and it's um, it's nice to have this sort of introspection, and I really, yeah, I appreciate you holding the space for me. I really appreciate you coming here and being so open and vulnerable and willing to share. It's really nice to hear your wisdom on certain topics. It's yeah, always lovely to chat. So thank you so much. We had so much fun with this interview. This conversation touched on so many important aspects of life and what it means to move through it as an ever-growing and changing person. Bess's story offers little snippets of advice which had us returning to this interview time and time again. We hope you enjoyed tuning in and we thank you again for bearing with us through our technical difficulties. At Mere Utterance, we want to create a community of storytellers and so we welcome you to visit our website, check out our blog, leave a comment or send us a message. We would love to hear your thoughts on this conversation and would love even more to hear some of your story. Thank you again for joining us. And remember, everyone has a story. You just need to ask the right questions.